Well, are you guys ready? Yes. Well, since um, I don't know how much time's left, but I'm going to redeem as much time as we can together. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and open my open this session in prayer. And so uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Amy. Thank you for Dr. Sharon. Thank you for the message that we've heard to this point. You're writing a new story in our lives, and I believe that. I'm so grateful for every woman present because you're calling us to thrive. Uh, you're calling us to thrive for our families. Our families, you put us here. You planted us here. We don't, in all the circumstances we're in, to thrive. You put us in these neighborhoods, in these communities, because you want us to bloom where we're planted, like Dr. Sharon shared, and you called us to thrive. And today, as we start this session, there's a generation that comes behind us that you're calling to thrive, and you're putting them under our care. And today, may we um, listen to you, may we learn from you and your scripture today, and may there be a calling in our life to lead the next generation to where they have a faith that stands out in a culture shutting God out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If we haven't met, my name is Casey Robinson, and I get the privilege of uh, uh, being one of the people that gets to come here to Westside Family Church. Uh, So grateful for my wife. Uh, She's a conference host, and uh, man, I I like the idea of calling her first lady. I think that's an amazing thing, Dr. Sharon. (laughs) Um, actually, she just needs to be the first, and uh, you know, there, there's no, the lady doesn't mean less. <laughs> um, and so I'm so grateful to, to be married to my wife. This is our 20th year. Of, this, we're celebrating in October, our 20 years of marriage. Yeah, I, I'm grateful. Thank you for that. Um, I tell you that because I don't want to forget that. Um, and so this year, what? Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we have uh, three kids, a, an 11-year-old that will be 12 in May, a 10-year-old, and a 8-year-old. And I just want to let you know that everything I'm sharing with you today about raising up the faith of the next generation, the jury's out, okay? I, I'll be honest with you. Um, but I have a burden for this. I have a passion for this. I'm, for my kids, this is a passion. And what I'm sharing with you today has grown out of this. I uh, see your grandkids. I see your children. I see this community in the, that are in our high schools, our middle schools, and our grade schools right now, the emerging college age. There is a need right now for a faith that is resilient, and it is our responsibility. I say this. It is our responsibility to invest in the next generation. So there, um, what is a Daniel generation? This is what I'm gonna be talking about today, a Daniel generation. And um, th- what is a Daniel generation? Well, let me give you an idea of what this is. A Daniel generation is this, a generation whose unshakable faith stands out in a culture shutting God out. This is the Daniel generation. And three things I want us to focus on in, in the time that we have together today. Um, first of all, we're going to talk about why a Daniel generation. And then we're going to progress to this idea. We're going to identify some key moments quickly. We're going to survey the book of Daniel because this is an important book written in the na- time of exile when Jeremiah, right after Jeremiah was a prophet, Jeremiah was a predecessor and, and, and maybe had been alive in, during some of the context of these uh, four Hebrew men. And then we're going to identify some key moments in the 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 book of Daniel with these young men. And then we're going to look at how that plays into our role 
of raising a Daniel generation whose faith stands out in a culture shutting God out. And uh, so why a Daniel generation? Let me just tell you why this came up. And, and I actually was with him uh, this past Wednesday. Uh, his, his name, he used to be a part of our church family. He was a prayer partner with us, he and his wife. And Dan and uh, Tammy Krause, I was speaking with him one day and he, uh, he just said, you know, I'm just, we, we, he was working with some private schools, some Christian schools, and he said, I just really feel this is that we need to invest in the Daniel generation. And there was just something about that that resonated with me. And Daniel generation, I asked him to explain that a little bit, and he did. And then one day I was praying, and, um, and, and, and in this prayer, I was just thinking about this Daniel generation. And I began to think about the, the Daniel, the three Hebrew children, or the he, three Hebrew, they weren't boys, they were young men in the beginning of the book of Daniel. And, uh, and I was thinking about Daniel itself. And then one day in this prayer, as I was just thinking and meditating over this, I was praying over my kids, my three. And it came out like this, Father, may their faith stand out in a culture shutting you out. And as soon as I spoke that prayer, Something like the Holy Spirit took something inside of me and planted a burden at that moment. And I've, I've carried this for my kids, and then it's growing. And I'm telling you, ladies, church, God is calling us to raise up a Daniel generation whose faith stands out in a culture shutting God out. Babylon is a culture that shuts God out. And we need to recognize just, just like the nation of Israel, just like Israel, we are in exile. Exile is a banishment from the land. It's, it's a banishment from one's own nation. And it's one where you're not in control anymore. And, and we need to recognize something, that America is not, and I say this sincerely, okay, with a lot of respect, but we're not a Christian nation, nor have we ever been. The church has always been in exile. And we will always be in exile until God sends Jesus to return back and we are then re, we'll be together with him. Whether through our death or through a rapture, we are in exile. And he is calling us. And, and while God has not, while we are in exile, it's not the Israelites were in exile because it was God's punishment on them. And while God did, is not punish Christ followers, he's not punishing the church for being in exile. We need to recognize that, that we are exiles living in a world that is not our own. And exilic language is all through the, 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 the scripture. It begins when uh, Adam and Eve are in the garden and God banishes them out of the garden. We see exile. We see them, this land created for them and now they're pushed out of the garden. Adam and Eve, uh, and then we see Abraham. And not only, uh, I mean, it's all throughout. Abraham, it leaves his family. God calls him. He is a nomad. He's leaving his home and he's not going to find land until he discovers Canaan. And in this, he was in exile. Exilic language is all through the scripture. In fact, the, the, one, of the, one of the under narratives or the subtle narratives of scripture is exile. And we need to embrace this, not disgrace this. We need to embrace our exile. Israel. In Egypt, 400 years after Joseph's, uh, God prospered Joseph, prospered Egypt, and they were in exiles in Egypt later. 
400 years there. Israel, we have the context of Jeremiah, thrown back into Babylon, captivity in exile in the 6th century B.C. Even Jesus was in exile. After being born, you remember the the short verses that describe that Jesus would go to Egypt. They fled with with Mary and Joseph. They took him to Egypt. He was in exile. Peter's first letters to the church after the church was in Jerusalem, God said, no, you are exiles. He scatters them out of Jerusalem. And it's through exile that the gospel of Jesus goes and it flourishes. So we don't need to disgrace exile. We need to embrace exile. And we are exiles living in a digital Babylon. Babylon is not necessarily a culture that's outside our doors. Babylon is accessed through a portal, mostly on the screens that fit inside our pockets or our purses. (laughs) And we are fighting and we're raising up a generation who are living in exile in a digital Babylon. The world of information that is a command or a click away is so accessible. It's mind-blowing how much information is available to our generation today. In the screens we give our children, it's, this is what's competing for their faith. See, it's competing for the faith that you're trying to raise them. And can I be honest with you? You bring in them for an hour on a Sunday a couple times a week because that's what we call normal attendance in a church is not going to compete with the hours, a day of information. So we have to learn how to raise up a generation with a faith that stands out in this digital, digital Babylon that is efforting itself to shut God out. Now, the term digital Babylon came from David Kinnaman, wrote a book called Faith for Exiles. In fact, it's in the resources page of your um, notebook or your journal. I encourage you to get a hold of that. It's actually on the library Hoopla app. If you have a a county library uh, card, you can get it and listen to it, or I think it's available even for the digital read there. But I encourage you to get that book into your hands because it'll help you understand how to raise kids in a digital Babylon and understand the dynamics that are at play. See, this is not just the the responsibility of parents. This is not just the responsibility of grandparents, but I want to let you know, this is the collective responsibility of the church to raise a generation whose faith stands out in a culture shutting God out. And I want to ask you today, what's the the faith of the next generation worth to you? It's a hard question to wrestle with. But what is it worth to you? So this is what we're talking about today. And so that's why a Daniel generation. Now let's go through and look in the book of Daniel. Um, and let's quickly survey some of these key moments that describe the faith of Daniel and these Hebrew, three Hebrew men. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Daniel chapter 1. If not, uh, I encourage you to take pictures of the screen. And uh, we're going to go through this rather quickly because I don't want this to be as in-depth because I want to get to the end on the practical side of this. So Daniel 1.1, we see this come out in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it. So we read about this, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into his hands. These he carried off to the temple of his God. Look at this. Carried off into exile. 
and his in Babylonia and put in the treasure of the house of his God. Then the king observed uh, Aspenaz and chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of Israelites from a royal family and of nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, look at this, and qualified. Well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace, he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were in to enter the king's service a, a, in exile. They were trained in the culture of Babylon. Check this out. They had the knowledge, the information, the literature all to their hand. And among those who were chosen to do this were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which we, he would find, the writer would say, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you were like me growing up, it's Chadrach because my brother was Chad. Meshach and to bed we need to go. Um, <laughs> because that's what my mom and dad said to us to get to bed. Um, so in this, we see there's this, they were educated, well-informed. And I want to let you know something today. Your kids are more educated and more well-informed. The information they process in a day is probably 10 times, if some would say thousands of times more that they can get in one day than you and I, or maybe our parents' generation had access to in a year. That's how much information they're processing in a day. And they were educated in this Babylonian culture. However, Daniel and these three Hebrew young men had a faith in God that stood out. We read in verse 8 that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. See, we see a first marker of a, a Daniel generation is a Daniel generation has an unshakable faith in God. He resolved not to defile himself in this way because he had a belief in a God that was greater than the king, Nebuchadnezzar. This is a resilient faith. To deny a command, to deny a command of a culture Daniel was determined to not dishonor God by following Babylonian custom. See, a Daniel generation does this. A Daniel generation honors God above all. It's God first, not country first. And this is the generation that we need to see emerge. A resilient, unshakable faith causes someone to, want to, to, to see the call to remain holy in a culture shutting God out. When it's easy just to fit in or, or indulge in the cultural current around, the Daniel generation has this understanding of who God is and seeks to honor him at all costs. Because that's what happens next in the story. We get a snapshot as to how God's favor was on these three men and in and, 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 and this. See, these, three, uh, these four young men gave God, that God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the key chief official presented them to King Nebi. And the king talked with them and he found none equal. None equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom, the understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better 
than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. See, in this, we need to understand something, that when we live in a world of information like this, a world that has, like our day and age, there's so much more information and knowledge, and there's something about what we see here in this, Uh, that, that knowledge is power. And in Babylon, knowledge was powerful. And it was easily accessible to these, these four men just as it's easily accessible to your children and your grandchildren. Knowledge is powerful, but can I tell you something? Power needs wisdom. And that's what Daniel and them had in this cultural, phenomenal time of, of uh, extreme literacy. See, a Daniel generation seeks God's wisdom with the knowledge they've acquired. And this is what a Daniel generation does. See, knowledge is different than understanding. Knowledge needs wisdom to to process. And right now, there are so many things through the access of Google, through access of YouTube, that's going to counter... And it's all this knowledge available. But you know what it does? You, you, it's not available through Google or YouTube is the wisdom on how to process that knowledge. And we need this. And they needed it. Your, our, the next generation needs us to navigate the, all the information they process. And then next, we see King Nebuchadnezzar set up a massive idol. You know the story where their, first, their faith in God is tested. To bow down to this idol, the four Hebrew men, the, the three Hebrew men do not, and it's made known to King Nebi that they're, they're, they're not doing, they're not bowing down because they're, they're, they're Jesus, God is sovereign, not the king in their minds. And he tells them they must worship or they suffer the consequences of the fiery furnace. And here's their reply that is a reply of unshakable faith to this demand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. It's a faith that is resilient. See, a Daniel generation trusts in God even if it doesn't go well with them. That's unshakable faith. That's a resilient faith. And honestly, that's a faith that some of us need to even have. Because when things go hard or things go wrong, it's, we tap out, God, I didn't sign up for this. It's a little too hot. We move to Daniel 5. As we're quickly moving through the book of Daniel to see this, and in and, and Daniel 5, verse 14, um, I've heard that the Spirit of God, king, the king says it is, is on you, Daniel, <laughs> and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. He had this dream, and nobody could interpret it, and so the enchanters and, and the, the were, were brought before him to read the writing that was on the wall at that time. And uh, nobody could explain what this meant. He goes, I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made third highest in the rule of the kingdom. You're gonna have prestige, you're gonna have prosperity and you're gonna have power. 
And then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else because I don't live for your favor. (laughs) Nevertheless, I'll read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. In this snapshot, I want to tell you what Daniel generation shows us. The Daniel generation has humility. See, it wasn't about everything he could acquire. It was about being obedient to God. He would serve the king, but for the glory and to the end of God, not for his own prosperity, his own power. And it's like, and that's what humility is. See, humility doesn't leverage the power, the prestige, and the prosperity for ourselves. We don't need it. Humility doesn't need it. We got to move on. So next snapshot, go to Daniel chapter six. Um, here, Daniel is one of the exiles from Judah. He's, they said to the, the king, hey, hey, Daniel is one of these exiles in Judah. Um, he, he's paying no attention to you. You know why? Because this was that moment where he was praying three times a day and they were trying to get him caught. They had this edict. They convinced the, uh, the, the king to, to sign in order to have Daniel arrested because they, you know, they were sick of it. They, 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 didn't, they were jealous, if you will, of his favor. And they said, if we can get him to stop praying... If we get him to stop talking to God three times a day, maybe we can do it. So this edict goes out. Daniel doesn't listen to the edict because you can't stop what we're commanded to do. Pray. And then the king said, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, um, then they said to the king, pays no attention to your majesty or decree you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. And this is so important because a Daniel generation is committed to prayer. It's so committed to prayer. Just as we heard in that last session it is committed to prayer and this is some one of the things that um, we just need to recognize we fail to do enough it's committed to prayer and then we have to move on so that's that one snapshot next snapshot daniel 7 fast forward a couple chapters um here, Daniel has a vision. And actually, this vision maybe comes a little earlier on in the story, but because of the way Daniel's written in this narrative, it's put right here. And, and in this, it's this vision that he has. It's an amazing vision. He goes, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. You know who that is? And, and oak, it coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power, and all nations and people of every language worshiped him. And I want you to catch this. So you gotta understand what the Daniel saw a picture of is Jesus, the son of God, who is also God, being welcomed by the ancients of days, which is God the father. And in this moment right here, he, Jesus was given all authority. Look at this. Before even Matthew chapter 28 was told, shared with us, where Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, it had already been written and sealed in eternity. All authority, he was given all authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion, look at this, is an everlasting dominion. That means his kingdom is everlasting and that it will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And for those of you that are Westsiders, we're talking about an unshakable kingdom a lot lately. Because God's kingdom will never pass away. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be thwarted. There's nothing that can destroy it. Daniel tells us about this. And you know what a Daniel generation has? Has a vision 
of that unshakable kingdom. See, a Daniel generation keeps their eyes on the king and seeks first to understand, seeks first the unshakable kingdom of God. That's what a Daniel generation says. He was, a Daniel generation seeks that kingdom under the authority of King Jesus. There's no authority in this land, no authority in this culture over King Jesus in our life because in, as Christ followers, there's one confession that we have that I, we all identify with. Jesus is Lord. And when we confess that, we are declaring that nothing else has an authority greater than his. And the Daniel generation has a faith in Jesus as Lord that is so much greater. It's an unshakable faith in his kingdom that is unshakable. And we put our faith in him as Lord. And there is no other voice that has an authority over his. We got to fast forward to the next thing in Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, met by his descendant, who was made ruler over Babylonian kingdom. So here Darius is now the king. Daniel's older. He's not a young man anymore. He, in the first year of his reign, Daniel writes that I understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Look at this. See, he's going back to what Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah. He looked at the word of God in this. And he said, this is what's going to happen. See, Jerusalem, the, the desolation of Jerusalem will only last 70 years. So I turned, look at this, to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. We've talked about prayer, but next, the Daniel generation seeks God's word to guide their beliefs and actions. In this world of information, you know where wisdom comes from? It doesn't come from the information from this world. It comes from God's word. Only God's word that is truth can guide us into the wisdom that we need to process the information of this world. See, a Daniel generation has to seek God's word to guide their beliefs and guide their actions. To turn to anything else as the North Star in our life. In a world that's trying to debunk the truth and authenticity and the authority of Scripture. And there are so many voices out there trying to do that. So many voices out there trying to tell our next generation and tell you and I that we should not trust Scripture to guide our beliefs and actions. But a Daniel generation sees the authority of God's word to do this. So for the remaining time that we have together, I want to give you... The, some practical ways that I'm learning and I'm practicing to raise up a Daniel generation with an unshakable faith that stands out and a culture shutting God out. How do we do this? Well, let's talk about that. I want to share some things with the next, uh, in the next few minutes. But the first thing I want to share with you is this because we want the next generation to see it. But can I tell you something? If we want to see an unshakable faith in the next generation, they must see an unshakable faith in you. It's not going to happen any other way. We have to step up and we've got to establish our faith in this unshakable truth in this, and pursue God's unshakable kingdom. Because if they, we want to see it in them, they have to see it in us. 
Jeremiah was a prophet that preceded Daniel and these three Hebrew uh, men. I believe that it was the faith of Jeremiah and the remnant that was there that as they planted, as they prospered, as they, they sought the, they went to thrive for their families and thrive for their neighborhoods. Neighborhoods. What happened is the generation thri- was thriving. See, Daniel highlights Jeremiah's prophecies, and while it's not conclusive that Daniel knew Jeremiah, he was greatly influenced by Jeremiah. And our faith has to influence the next generation of faith. And to pass on a strong faith, we must have a strong faith. And we want to see it in them. They've got to see it in us. So let's look at how we can cultivate, how we can cultivate an unshakable faith in the context of our homes. The first thing is, uh, is uh, this is the, the, the big idea. If you know me, I like to share big ideas. If you, if you don't forget, if you forget anything else, remember this, that we need to share a passion for Jesus and his kingdom by creating a rule of life. If you don't remember anything else, may you just may this may you wrestle with this and may you develop this. May you we have to cultivate in ourselves a passion for Jesus and his kingdom. And that's the only way we can share it. And we have to do this by creating a rule of life, a rule of life for us and a rule of life for our family. So let me let's kind of break this down and talk about this over the next couple of minutes. How do we create how do we share this passion for Jesus? How do we cultivate this passion for Jesus? How do we share that passion for Jesus? How do we make it about his kingdom? Because we have to understand it's about his kingdom. If we don't understand it, we're a part of a kingdom. We're going to build our own kingdoms or we're going to surrender to the kingdom of our culture. And that's not an unshakable faith. That's not the faith that the next generation needs to see in us. And so how do we do this? Well, first is this, is we need to share our passion for Jesus and his kingdom. We have to share our passion for Jesus and his kingdom. I want my kids to see that I am passionate for Jesus. They've got to see this in my home. They've got to hear this in my words. They've got to see this with my actions. They've got to know that I am passionate for not just Jesus, but I'm passionate for his kingdom. His kingdom is his rule and his reign over me. First of all, I've got to recognize this. Am I surrendered to this? See, I don't want them to just think this is a Sunday only faith for dad who's a preacher. And there's a many, many pastors who are under this, this burden and, and, and they come into this glass uh, house and, and everything's seen. And so they, it breaks. And I don't want them to see that. I want them to see a resilient faith in me on Monday, all the way through the week. And so we, I, have to, I have to understand this. I, I've, I've got to share a passion for Jesus and his kingdom. And, and I've got to let them, they've got to see that in me. See, a Sunday-only faith for any of us will only get us swallowed up in digital Babylon. So we've got to sh- have a passion for Jesus and his kingdom. How do we do this? We need to prioritize it. We need to prioritize his kingdom first in your life. If, if his kingdom isn't first, if he's not the priority in your life, the, the faith of the next generation won't, may not be there it, according to your, you may not have that influence that God has desired for you to have in their life. He may have to use someone else. See, we need to, we need to have this passion. We need to put his kingdom first in our life. That's what Matthew 6.33 tells us. Is, and we need to put his kingdom first. And, and how do we make it first in our life? Well, we need to make scripture what guides our beliefs and actions. 
Can I tell you something? There are many people in this room that scripture is the last thing you do go to to guide you in your life. It's the last resort. But if God's truth is what it is, why do we go to it last to guide our beliefs and actions? It should direct us. The, the words of Jesus should be our marching orders. We should understand them. It should be what we do. And our kids need to see us reading our Bible. We, you know, at our family, we, Cassie and I, uh, when they see us reading the Bible in our home, they'll go, uh, not the, we're reading our phones. I'm sorry, when they, my, my kids see us reading our phones, they know that we're reading our Bible. In fact, they'll go, Dad, you're reading your Bible? Do you mind if I just talk with you for a second? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not on Facebook on my phone. I primarily, primarily use my phone to read my Bible. But they need to see us doing this. They need to know that we go to Scripture. Our, our Scripture leads us into the wisdom that you and I need to raise our kids. Scripture guides us to, on, on, on these complicated issues that are in today's culture. There's wisdom in Scripture for every complicated cult, issue in culture. It's there, and the Holy Spirit uses that wisdom to help us process the knowledge that we have. We need the wisdom of Scripture. Your kids need the wisdom of Scripture. That's why uh, I love what Dr. Sharon, when she talked about, we don't lean, lean on our own understanding. <laughs> but that's how we live in our life, right? Well, this is what I know, and I'm going to lean on my own understanding. No, we need to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Let his word direct you and guide you. And he'll make your paths straight. So, and next, we need to pray as often as we can and, and, and do this together with those in our home. When you, you know, prayer needs to be regular. It doesn't need to be awkward. And you know who makes it awkward? We do. And if it's awkward, own the awkward and just do it. Just do it. So in, in pray what you know in scripture. Pray the scriptures that you knew. Let truth be your prayer. Prayer, pray, pray with faith. Pray, pray uh, with faith, in, in faith. You know what faith is? I love this definition of faith. Faith is trusting in who God is and hoping in what he can do. I'm gonna say that again because you may need to write that down. Faith is trusting in who God is and hoping in what he can do. And you're not going to know who he is without scripture to inform you of who he is. You're not going to be able to put your hope in what he can do based on his character or his abilities because you're not going to know who he is and it's through scripture that we can pray these things. And we want our kids to know the unchanging character of God revealed in scripture. We want our kids to know this. We want our prayers to elevate that unchanging character of God. One of the three things that I do um, with our kids is, is we pray together and recently We've been taking a character of God and we, we're, we're listening and we say, okay, what's the character of God? And, and I try to thread that through the prayer because I want them to know the character of God. And I want them to learn from me how to pray according to that. So we need to pray as often as we can with those in our home. And it doesn't mean just your kids, but it's anybody that comes in our home. Our group, we pray together. In our A2 community, we pray together. All the time, we pray together. It, with our kids, if there's a need of, for a friend or a, uh, someone had a bad day at school, we'll pray right then and there. We'll pray for the friend. We'll encourage them to pray. But we need to make this a go-to in our homes. Uh, the next thing is we need to make generosity a part of our life. And this is a hard thing. You know the thing, I'm gonna say the rest of this here in a second. You know the thing that's gonna keep you from being generous? Your discontentment. Discontent people are not generous. Content people are. 
And you know, sometimes our kids, it takes faith. We gotta recognize, it takes faith to be content. And, and with our kids, we need to be, learn to be, con, we need, they need to see us as content. And until we're content, we can't make generosity a part of our home. Make generosity a part of your life because of this truth right here that guides our belief in action. It's in scripture. Everything you are and everything you have comes from God and belongs to him already. Do you believe that? Because that's an unshakable faith. And when you know that, you'll be generous. And then, um, then we, we need to uh, do this right here. We need to create a rule of life for your family and a rhythm that keeps Jesus first. Before I, 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 I move on to this last little section, which I, I think is a, a very meaningful thing, um, a part of the culture here that you need to have is you need to make church a priority. In case you're a pastor, you should say that. Yes, I should. But even if I weren't pastor of this church, I would tell you, you need to make church a priority. Because if you don't make church a priority, you're not prioritizing the people that, are clo- that, that, that God died for and their faith in him. And you need to make that kingdom family your priority because when you seek his kingdom, you cannot ignore the kingdom family we're a part of. Okay, so let's talk about creating a rule of life in the last three and a half minutes that we have. A rule of life is this. It's a rhythm that keeps Jesus first. It's simple. What's your rhythm that keeps Jesus in his kingdom first? Because that's a, that, that's a, create a rule of life. For you, for your family, you need to have a rule of life. We have three rhythms in, in, our, in our daily day that we've kind of cultivated over the last 10 years. Actually 12, almost 12 years. And it's grown. And I just want to share with you that what these rhythms are, so the practical side of this. But you need to have your own rhythm, your own rule of life, because your rule of life, your rhythm in life, is what's going to keep Jesus and his kingdom first. And it's that rhythm that cultivates the faith of the next generation. I'm going to th- share th- how ours is. And, um, and the reason this is so important to us is that I, we, when our kids are gone, we want them to have this rhythm of life and this rule of life that it directs them in their faith that when they start. So here's the first thing. They're all connected around prayer for us. We start our day with prayer together as a family. Before they go off to school, we just start our day with prayer. And the prayer that we use in the morning, it's gonna blow your mind. You ready for this? It's the Lord's Prayer. I can't tell you how much theology, how much understanding of the character of God, and how much of our discipleship is connected to the Lord's Prayer. I cannot tell you this enough. I could have done a whole teaching in just the first, in 45 minutes, just on the Our Father. I wanna tell you something. Don't let the Lord's Prayer be something rote. Make it a go-to, but don't make it such a routine that you ignore the meaning of the words and the value in it. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now I wanna tell you something. So um, I'm gonna take most of the time on this because I want you to know something about this. It's powerful. This is how we talk about the day. All the things that we talk about, like struggling with in life, I can take it back to the Lord's prayer. And it's a great wisdom and counsel for our kids. And this is how we pray it. God, Father, we say, Father, there is no one like you, holy. And Father, a God who loves us, gives life to us, because that's what a father does, and you're over all things. That's him in heaven. 
God, there's nothing we face today that's outside of your control. There's nothing today that we're gonna face that you're not over. And then we go next. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And this is how we pray it. Your kingdom come in us and through us. And his kingdom, and according to Romans chapter 14, verse 17, uh, is what Paul said is, is the kingdom of God is this righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's why we have these righteousness, peace, and joy up here because this is the kingdom of God. That we're, so this is how we pray. Father, make me more like you. Make us, Father, make us more like you. Secondly, we give us a peace. And here's the peace. Give us a peace that no matter what we face today, we know that you are with us. Unshakable faith. No matter where I go, no matter what happens to me, God is with me. And the last is this. Give us a joy that we know who we are in Christ, our identity. And make that joy complete as we honor you in everything we think, say, and do. This is John chapter 15 put into play that he will put his joy in us as we obey him. And then, Father, we want your will more than we want our way. And then we go into give us today our daily bread. We pray it like this. Father, help us be content with everything you've given us. And with our extra, may we be generous to those in need. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Father, we depend upon your forgiveness. We trust in your measure of justice. Give us the strength and grace we need to forgive others. And the last one is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is something we do every morning. We say, Father, we depend upon you for our protection. Now check this out. Lead us to do the loving thing, which is the selfless thing that protects us from doing the evil thing. That's how we pray every morning because I want my kids to have an unshakable faith. There's two other prayers I'm gonna just share with you real quick. It's at dinner is the second one. And when we get to the dinner table, this is a next rule of life for our family. And we pray these things right here. I declare, God, God, we are so thankful that everything we have and everything we are, it comes from you and it belongs to you and we want to glorify you with it. And we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. May we never forget it. And may it be how we love one another, the way you've loved us. Every time we break bread together as a family, it's communion. It's a rule of life. Something we teach around. And then at the end of the day is our third prayer. We do this together regularly. And this prayer this is cheesy, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray it with you right now, okay? In fact, I'm going to pray it over you as we close. You're in our house. It's just been chaos because getting the kids to bed is chaos. And this is what we pray. Father, give us a passion to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Give us a vision to see how we can serve you by serving the people all around us. Give us wisdom Give us the wisdom to know what's wise, right, and what honors you in everything we think, say, and do. And give us the courage to do what's right, wise, and what honors you in everything we think, say, and do. And give us character that reflects your character, Jesus, which is, and now this may shock you, but this is a part of our prayer. Ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we sing it together again as a family. And then I pray this. Father, keep falsehood and lies far from us. 
Give us neither poverty nor riches, but what we need every day. This is in Psalm, Proverbs chapter 30. But give us what we need every day. And then we together as a family quote Ephesians 4.32. And we do it like this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay? That's what we do. We sing it again twice. It's a rule of life. It guides us, and this is the hope that the faith of my kids will stand out and they will learn to love and lead in a culture shutting God out. But you gotta cultivate a rhythm of life of making Jesus first and his kingdom first. Let me pray for you as we close. Father, thank you for this. God, you've called every one of us to raise up the faith in the next generation. May we do so, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.